You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Chuva Supoiskim, and it's right before Rosh Hashanah. And I think Aposek does Chuva as well. Of course, he issues Chuvas. He, he issues rulings, and many of them help people tremendously. He works hard. Uh, it's his life purpose in many ways. Sometimes a posik is called even before uh, the, in the mornings and the wee hours of the night and the Swarm speak about, the Ramo actually says that he doesn't have to make birchas HaTorah uh, even before he issues a psak because it happens. That, that's really what their razan d'etre is. But often, even the best intentioned psokim are sometimes attacked. And especially if a person is trying to help, a person is trying to, to, to help Klal Yisrael. We've had uh, speakers here on this platform talk about, and myself included, about halachic rulings that were, that were issued to solve a problem that were novel and helped uh, in, in a very human way, a person, a man, a woman, family, a child, out of a, a halachic quandary. But some of these uh, solutions were actually offered and attacked as incorrect and wrong. And we've heard examples of that, whether it's about uh, the various types of uh, solutions when World War I and World War II then was uh, erupting, the idea of instituting all sorts of, of, of marriages should be all stipulated in a way that we wouldn't have the Aguna problems that happened after World War I, that every marriage should almost have it contained in it, um, a, a sort of tenai. Um, so these have all been attempts to, to use halacha in a way to help people. But Halacha, and again, I, it's obviously my prejudice here. Halacha has certain rules that it lives by. And you'll say, well, the rules are there. I'm looking at the rules. No, the rules are on the paper, but they also are contained in the minds of the greatest halachists and thinkers of its time. So if you have uh, an idea that looks good on paper, but it runs counter to almost all of the great thinkers, the people who are, are, who are giants in the field, then there's probably something wrong with, the, what, what, with what you're trying to do. In other words, there needs to be a, a consensus. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a complete and total one, but there at least has to be, if for this tshuva, for this psak to work, and for it to be accepted, you need to get the, a couple of big names. Now, whether the name is Herschel Schechter today um, or Rav Asher Weiss, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, or it's Ramosha Feinstein. And even though Ramosha Feinstein's psalkim were attacked, they can still re- remain for many parts of, 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 of Jewish life and many Jewish communities, the halacha, even though it, for, for some of the Hasidic communities might have thought that Rav Moshe's Pesachim were out there and had pushed the envelope. But you had Rav Moshe, who had that type of stature, um, and he marshaled with him others. 
And that is really, it, it, it's, it's sort of a messy idea. It, it's, there aren't clear cut boundaries, but I think if you study the history of how the halachic process works, you'll see that there have been attempts by lone wolves, by mavericks, and they have failed, even though it was the intentions were great. This is the story of such a attempt. The, the, and it's, it's, it's tragic in a way, but the question is why, what I want to try to get to, is when you see it failed and you see perhaps that the, the mass of thought on this subject was against you, and of course, we have this in the, in the Gemara, of course, the famous Gemara in Baba Metzia of Rebel Yezer ben Horkinus, who refused to, 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 uh, to yield his ground and brought in all sorts of, as you know, supernatural proofs that, that he was correct. But we have these modern day uh, Eliezer ben Horkinuses who didn't yield their ground and thought they were correct. And here's the story, again, of one of them who did not yield and sort of like Eliezer ben Hurkanus, um suffered until the end of his life. Uh, although it was only the last years of his life that, that he came out with this psaac, his, the, the, his reputation suffered. And the question would be, why didn't he, you know, publicly, for the sake of peace, say, I retract my opinion? Well, what was his opinion? Well, first of all, I'll give him a name. Rabbi Avraham Aaron Yudalevich, born in 1850, died in 1930. He lived a full 80 years and was an incredibly prolific author. He lived in many uh, cities in Lithuania as Rav, as first student, as a yeshiva student, known as, a, as an Ely, coming from the the, the wonderful city of Nevardok, which was a, a great Lithuanian, uh, strong Jewish town. He had an uncle that was one of the sharpest Rabbonim who trained him. He studied a year in the great Veloshin Yeshiva, became a Rav at the age of in his early 20s. By the time he published his first book, it was clear that he had been writing voluminously on topics that were uh, that were dizzying your mind if you see the amount of material he had written on and, and, and the, the amount of learning he had done. There, there's testimony in his early, late 20s and early 30s as to the quality of his speech of how he would come to a city as a guest darshan, Rav Yudolevich, and wow people with his, with his brilliance his ideas that, that you could hear a, a pin drop when he would speak. And he uh, actually traveled. Eventually, he uh, was a rough for a number of years in Manchester in England. Uh, and uh, he made his way to the United States. Uh, but he was also uh, uh, well known as in those last 12 years of his life, the last 12 or 14 years of his life, as the rabbi of the Eldridge Street show on the Lower East Side, known as Anche Luch. Um, which I have a connection to because that is where my Kivalevich's uh, all uh, stem from there, from Lubch. Of course, he didn't come from Lubch, but um, 
He was the Rav of that shul called Anche Wuch, the Eldridge Street Synagogue. And he was the, uh, he was called, at least he called himself, the Rav HaKolel of, of those, of a number of rabbinical uh, uh, whole group of, uh, of Rabbonim. I think it was, I'm not exactly sure. I know that, that he um, allied himself with someone that we've talked about in this platform, uh, Rav Gavriel Zev Margolis, um, and they were, you know, they, they were old European Rabbanim uh, that did have uh, somewhat of a forward way of looking at things. Uh, but he was really not just a visionary, he was living in the world of halacha, and, and there are, his chuvas are called chuvas beis av, um, which, which, which are his, you know, his name, av from Aaron, um, and they are, they, they are marvelous. Uh, they are chuvas that show incredible, incredible control over the material. He was asked to be a Rosh Hashiva in Yeshiva University because of his, of his brilliance. And I don't know why he actually stopped uh, being a Rosh Hashiva there, uh, but he is, he's ensconced in their Hall of Fame. If you take a look there on the Yeshiva University website page of all their Rosh Hashivas, you can see him there, Rav Yudalevich. But in 1926, he issued a psak. And he wasn't alone. There were other Rabbanim. But he, in America, stood as one of the great poiskin. And his psak was to allow a woman um, who could not travel to communist Russia for a number of reasons. Uh, why did she need to travel to communist Russia? She had a brother-in-law there. Her husband had died. Her brother-in-law was the Yovam. She had no children from her, her first husband. And therefore, the mitzvah of Yibum was a possibility. Of course, we didn't, don't do the mitzvah of Yibum, and that never really entered into anyone's minds. But the question was that we should do chalitza. Chalitza should occur. Now, of course, when chalitza occurs, this is a process of the man and the woman. The man, um, the woman comes to Besdin and she says, my brother-in-law refuses um, to do Yibam for me. He refuses to live with me, to be my husband. And the man repeats that. The man says that as well. He says that I don't want her. And as you know, she then proceeds to uh, take a special chalitza shoe off. We use a special chalitza shoe because it has to fit properly um, on his foot, the way the Talmud describes it, the Talmud describes it. And after she slips the shoe off of his foot, she needs to generate saliva, spit, that she, and she, regurgit, she regurgitates it out. And it has to be seen by the witness, by the, the judges. Now, it would seem that such a process would be impossible unless the two parties were together. I, Baruch Hashem, have seen a chalitza, and I, I know what, it, what it's like. Um, you need to have the parties there for the chalitza to work. At least that would be the argument. What Rav Yudalevich wanted to do, and he didn't necessarily say that he was the first one to speculate, but he wanted to, he, 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 he wrote a sort of almost 80 pages 
to prove that the woman could appoint someone in her place to be the one who takes the shoe off and that would allow her to not be bound to that brother-in-law and would allow her to be able to remarry. Now, Rav Yudalevich wrote this in 1926, and at that time, there was shortwave radio, and he was saying that perhaps we would, we would use shortwave radio to actually have two, but they did, a Bezdin in the United States and a Bezdin in, in Soviet Russia. Um, assuming that they would be able to uh, arrange a hookup. Um, one of the things, by the way, that, that was clear from the Shaila was that if she, she had actually escaped from Russia under false pretenses, and that even if money could be raised to send her back, she would probably be arrested and would suffer great consequences. So it was almost a pikuach nefesh. She, it was a question of life or death that she could not go there. So Rav Yudalevich, uh rolled up his sleeves, based himself on what others had already suggested, and ruled that you, she could actually appoint a shuyach to represent her. And that woman, and, and again, the question is, maybe it doesn't have to be a woman, maybe it could be a man. We know in Kedushin, uh, my friends, you can actually do Kedushin with a shliach. One of my best friends who I consider my teacher, but you know, I, I know he, he doesn't like me referring to him that way, said to me that his dream marriage, uh, when, he got, when he found his wife, he wanted that, um, that there should be a, a, a marriage ceremony, but that he would appoint a woman to give the Kedusha Kesef or the ring and her and his wife would appoint a man to accept the ring, which halachically works. A woman can appoint a, a man or a woman to accept the money. And a man can appoint a woman to actually give the money. Um, and that's what he would want. He said he, said, he, said he and his wife would sit uh, in the audience and watch it. My point is that Kiddushin, we know, can be done with the Shliach. It's one of the essential uh, aspects of the Mishnayis and Kiddushin that it, it's done. It's even in the Torah, according to some ways of looking at the story of Eliezer, uh, the servant of Avraham, who goes to find Rivka for Yitzchak. There are, from the Medrash, it seems that when, uh, when Rivka uh, gets the, uh, the nose ring, and the bracelets, that's an act of Kedushin, you know, proto, proto uh, act of Kedushin that, is, uh, that, that was affected. It was, it, it, and, and that would remain true even post uh, Mount Sinai. And we know it always happened. Kedushin happened al Yedei Shliach. A get, which is very similar to a Chalitza in a way, because the get allows a woman to rebury. It, it's always done with shlichos, are living far apart. They, they've already, in a sense, separated. And to be honest, they don't want to see each other. So shlichos happens. Yet, here in Chalitza, 
it was considered verboten until Rav Yudalevich issued his psak. And he felt that he could do shlichus for the woman, not the man, but actually part of the dafyomi recently. People that are doing the dafyomi can see. Um, it was from Ksuvas Ayin Dalit Amid Alpha. Read a little bit of the Gemara. Chalitza Mutas Ksheira. A chalitza that is a mistaken one. Hmm. Is kosher. That was an, a, a statement seemingly from the Tanoim. It came down to us, a vestigial statement, as I like to call it. Some, something out of context. What does that mean, a mistaken chalitza? Muta'it, like a chalitza that's mixed up, that there's a mistake. Ezi chalitza tell us. What's the chalitza that we say is, is somehow wrong-sided? Omerish lokish. Kosha oimer lechalotzla. Uvekach a tokonza. Rish Lakish says, you know what you can do? You are able to fool a person. In other words, really, what does Chalitza do? Chalitza allows the woman to marry any other man that she sees fit. And she's not stuck to this brother-in-law. Rish Lakish says, what about if the, the man is someone the woman doesn't want? And for some reason, he doesn't want to do yibum. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly why, but he's willing to do chalitza because he thinks chalitza will will make them married. Now, I, there's probably a reason why he doesn't want to do yibum because yibum involves actual sexual intimacy. Maybe that's what he doesn't want to do. But he'd like her to be his wife. <laughs> but he doesn't want to necessarily go through the process. So you can fool him. And he says, well, what about chalitza? Can I do that? Now, we see the guy is not someone that she wants to marry anyway, possibly. So we tell him, okay, you can do chalitza, and this way you'll, you'll be married to her. Really, it's a way to free her. In other words, the act is done. She takes the shoe off his foot. She does the spitting. Uh, he, re- he repeats what it says here, although if he really understands what he's saying, it would seem he, there's no way he could really think that this is somehow the way that he could be married, but he's sort of, not a, uh, he's sort of a simple fellow. So Rishwakish says, it works. You fool the guy, and now she's free. No, I have a, a tradition. That when it comes to chalitza, they need kavana. They need intent. If, if the intent is wrong on any side, chalitza the shoe might come off the foot, the words, and again, there's a, the Gemara says you don't really need the words for chalitza to work. That, because the Gemara speaks about what happens if, uh, if someone forgets, forgets to say the words. Is the chalitza still kosher? The Torah writes that they should be said, but we say that the words aren't ma'akev. Those uh, pronouncements are not, uh, are, are not necessary for the chalitza to work. It's the way they should be done. So let's assume that, again, to answer my point before, that there were no words said. But there needs to be kavana, Rishwakish says, from Yochanan says. How could you, my friend, Rishwakish say, Yochanan says, 
Ela Omer Rabbi Yochanan, you know what this b'risa means? Kol she'omer lo'el chalotzlo al menashe titen l'chom asayim zuz. Hmm. In other words, he wants money for this. And this, of course, uh, was very prescient because this is what happened often, that there was a brother-in-law, but the only way the brother-in-law wanted to actually engage in this act was if he gets paid. And Masayim Zuz is quite a bit of money. Masayim Zuz is the amount of money you could live off for a year. That's the amount that we give for Iksuva. Aksuva is to let a woman get on her feet, be able to survive widowhood or sudden divorce or even divorce that she was expecting, but without the normal breadwinner. It gives her comfort for a year. That's a lot of money, a year's salary, right? I don't know what you make, but if you make 80000 a year, 100000 a year, which is not a lot if you live on the East Coast, that's not a lot anywhere, I don't think, in America anymore. But that's what it was comparable to, comparable to a year's salary. So that's what he says. I'll, ta- I'll do chalitza, but I want to be on easy street for a year. He does it. It works. You don't got to pay him. You fooled this guy. He wanted to do chalitza, but he wanted to do it only if he gets the money. What do you see? So the Gemara says, hmm, I see from here a principle that maybe since when he, when he, right before the woman takes the shoe off, he doesn't make another pronouncement and say, all right, remember, I'm getting the money, I'm getting the money. That's what the Gemara thinks is going on here. That the reason why the Chalitza worked is because he did not repeat at the moment of the action, remember, you're giving me money for this, Alma, the Gemara says, Kivan the oven, Ah, you see from here that when a person does an action, even though they talked about it earlier based on getting money, based on a stipulation, if that stipulation isn't repeated when the action actually, when the action occurs, then we say that the stipulation was canceled. That's what the Gemara thinks. Hanami, even the ball. If a person, for example, made a, a, a did a, a kedusha with a stipulation, he says, "I will be your husband. You'll be my wife if you don't have any sort of strange nedarim. That you haven't made any strange vows, and you're not a, a vow maker that's going to make my life difficult." Now, let's say afterwards he decides that he's just. Then it's time for, for them to, um, for the chuppah, he doesn't repeat it. Or possibly, um, and, and, and we know he has relations with her and he didn't say anything. So since he didn't repeat that, that's what the Gemara wants to use this. And that's the reason why it's here in Ksuvas. Because in Ksuvas, it talked about how a, a marriage could be canceled if a person um, discovers there's a problem. But sometimes the marriage isn't canceled, but you just have the right to divorce the woman and not pay her the suit. Was the one who had asked this question. Um, and he had asked this question, uh, I believe uh, the person he was talking to 
was 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 Rav Acha Bar Yaakov. So two Achas were talking to each other. Acha, the son of Ika, was asking a question to Acha, the son of Yaakov. So the older Acha said to him, Barbe Rav, you know, you're a good student. Shaper Ka'amrit, do you think this is a good question? Why don't you think about it some more? Michti, kol t'nai mehecha gamrina. Where do we know that you can actually do an action and tether it to a stipulation? For example, Kedushin. You did an act of Kedushin, and you stipulate that it's only an act of Kedushin if the reality is you are a woman who doesn't make Nadar. If I discover that this is your tendency, and that you have a whole list of things that you have vowed not to eat or do, this act of Kedushin means zero. In other words, you have the power to connect your act with whatever stipulation you want. A marriage is a marriage on the condition. And if it turns out the condition isn't met, then this meant nothing. Where do you know that works? We know that the, in the story of uh, Eretz Yisrael, of, of getting Eretz Yisrael, there were wars that preceded Yoshua's and the Bnei Yisrael's entry into the land of Israel. Those wars accrued to the Jewish people land. That land was the land of Eber Ayarden. That land belonged to Sichon, to Og. It was conquered. It became Jewish property or the property of the Bnei Yisrael. Now, the Bnei God of Bnei Ruvain had amassed, as you know, so much cattle, so much uh, mikna, that they wanted that land. And they knew, maybe from the reports of the spies and others, what land was like in Israel. They knew what they wanted in space, and they said, the Bnei Gavir said, we want to stay on this side. Hmm. It's technically land of Israel, sort of. It's not necessarily the land that we were expecting to go to, but the war that we engaged in the Midbar now gave this to us. We as conquerors own this. Is it the land that was promised? Maybe, but it was the, only the war that really, uh, as opposed to the wars that were waged against the nations in what was called Eretz Canaan, those were wars that, would have, that, that needed to happen. Those were wars that were mitzvah wars. Those were wars that, that are, are, are taking the land of, uh, that's supposed to be our land. This was sort of like a... Uh, a serendipitous situation where we were fought against and we were so uh, valorous in our battles and so adept at it that we now have this land which technically belongs to the whole Jewish people. So let this be our inheritance. That's what they wanted. And we'll give up what we had that was supposed to come to us. And that can go, uh, and that, whatever those slices will be divided among the rest of you, all the other 10 tribes. And we'll get this, and you guys won't have it. 
Meaning if they don't make the Tanai, then that would sort of be like public lands that I guess all 12 tribes could come and vacation there and hang out there. It would be like the lands that everybody owns equally. Whereas what God had in mind was each each, uh, tribe should have an area that was completely and totally theirs. And that would be the regular land of Eretz Israel. B'nai God B'nai Ruvain want this stuff to be their regular piece of land. Now they need to do something to make that happen. What needs to happen is, is that the owners, meaning the B'nai Yisrael or their Ava, uh, and then Yehoshua would live up to it because Moshe would cut the deal. Um, and the deal is he represents the people the people are going to give up their ownership of those lands on a condition. What's the condition? In other words, they agree to give up ownership of those B'negob, the the Averhayarding lands on the condition, the way God said what should happen, is that they come over and fight Maybe they're in the front lines, maybe they're in the middle lines, but they fight just as if they're fighting for their land. They can't just sit over there and say, here, let's make a switch. If they fight, if they cross the river, they send maybe not the men, the women and children, but they send their fighters and they send their people into battle, then this giving of land will work. If they don't, then all bets are off. It's from the, the, that deal that's in Sefer Bamidbar that we learn out that you can stipulate on any action, seemingly, that a giving of land, a swap, it's a swap only if this occurs. Now, what sort of swap was that? It was the Efsher with Kiyumei Al-Yedei Shliach. It's possible that you could have someone else be the one who gives the land over, who who facilitates the switch. You can have a power of attorney that the attorney can do it for you. And and Rashi says here in this Gemara Sufis that Yehoshua was the shliach of Moshe Rabbeinu to facilitate that switch. The action of seeding property the action of selling or or bartering property. That's something that can be done even though you're the one who cut the deal, you can empower someone else to do it the same way you had that power. There, when you can make a shliach, that's where a tanai works. If it's something that the act cannot be done by a shliach, there is no Yehoshua to do it. So it's not like Hosam. It's not like the case of of Bnei Gad of Bnei Ruvain. Chalitza can't be done. Therefore, you can't make a tenai. <laughs> you, hi, we fooled you. You thought you could make a tenai. Of course, the man is sort of passive in Chalitza anyway. But he clearly doesn't want to do evil. He lets this happen to him. And he knows that through this, the woman can now remarry. 
you can't make a deny and say, well, I only, I only agree to be part of it. And I, yeah, with your kavana, yes, you have to know what's going on, but only if I'm going to get paid. Sorry, <laughs> we can fool you. And therefore, uh, maybe he'll have complaints to the Bezdin. The woman can go get married now. And he doesn't get his money. Because you cannot stipulate it. You cannot bind it. Because it's not like, is it so clear? Again, here you have Yibam, Achem, The brothers, they were both alive. Two brothers alive in the world together. One dies. He has no children. Ben Einlo. So the first thing you have to realize, she can't just get remarried. She can't just marry anybody. She's bound. The brother-in-law is connected to her and can have sex with her. And, and then the Isha becomes totally, she becomes totally his wife. The whether she likes it or not, he can actually even, again, have sex with her. She's not even, she, again, it's, it's a terrible thing to say, but Chazal do learn this. It's, it's terrible to hear it, but it is the drush of Chazal, and it makes sense because the words indicate that, that he can even have relations with her whether she likes it or not. Even force relations, even if she's asleep. He becomes her husband with Yibo. It's not like regular marriage. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the Pshat and the Pasuk will, will skip the next part here, which is that we want a child to be born, which is obviously what we want. And we, we want someone to have, and again, this is where the Kabbalists see that there is a, a, a hint to reincarnation, that somehow it isn't just now there'll be a baby, but somehow the dead man lives again and the child that is conceived by his brother and his his widow. That is the secret of, of, of Gilgal that the Ramban hints to here. And it's strange if you've never heard that before, but that is uh, that is generally what's understood here. But but the man has to want, the brother has to want. But also Yevimto She needs to go to a Bezdin. Hmm. Yivim itself doesn't need a Bezdin. But Chalitza does. She has to go to a gate where there are learned rabbis. Va'omra. And she has to make a pronouncement. Me'en yivami l'hokim l'chav sheim b'Yisrael. He refuses. Lo ova. He doesn't want yavami. He doesn't want to have relations with me. He doesn't want to become my yavam. To become my husband that way. V'koru lo ziknei'iro v'dibrewe lov. So they call him and they speak to him. And he says, that's true. What she says is right. I don't want her. And the Yavama make, she comes close to him. And the Bezin are watching it. She takes her, the shoe off his foot. She spits in front of him, not in the shoe. <laughs> she spits in front of him, and Bezdin sees that spit. And then she responds. She responds to the shocking action that people are, what are you spitting? Yeah. This is what should be done to a person. He should go through an act where his shoe gets taken off and spittle gets, gets, gets regurgitated. 
Rabbeinu Bachir says the spittle is a is not is, is, is a not so subtle um, uh, sort of parallel to 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 semen. Right? That's sort of what it's like. Asher will yimne is beis ochev that he doesn't want his brother's house to be built. He sort of gets a name. You're a guy that had chalitza done. Now, does it say here that you can't appoint a shliach? How do we know? Well, Luxem Sofer says, maybe because it says, they call to him. Meaning he can't just say, hey, you guys, look, I don't, look, you know what? I appoint you to represent me to allow this to happen. It says, lo, okay. It also says, debru a love. So the Chsam Sofer speculates, although it's not in any Gemara anywhere, that those phrases seem to indicate that it's actually the real guy himself. It isn't some sort of agent. Okay. Um, perhaps also, if the Chsam Sofer is right, you could have said, v'nigshe yevimto a love. So all these words which perhaps are unnecessary because we know who the other person is, indicate it has to be that physical person. It cannot be someone else. Okay. Um, and that might be when it shows you that, right, that, that you can't uh, appoint a shuyach. That's the chsam sofer. The rosh says that it's from this word. The Rosh, many hundreds of years before the Hussam Sofer says, he believes, although the Gemara doesn't say it, it's from this word. Me'al raglo. Raglo is his foot. Obviously, a shoe is on a foot. So it could have just said, v'chol sonolo, take your shoe off. Why does it have to say from his foot? Well, the Chazal actually say it's got to be on the foot. It has to be has to be shaped in a way where he's not wearing any socks. It's on his foot itself. It's not like he's wearing a support hose. It's in his, right? But the Rosh says included in that is the fact that it's his physical foot. It's not, especially that Vav there. Because the Guru just said, the fact that it says raglo, meaning he can't send someone else and say, I empower you to do it. Right? You can send someone to, as I said, to make a, to, to be the one to divorce your wife. You could have a person say, listen, I don't want to see her. I give you the power to give her this piece of paper. And by giving you this piece of paper, it's like I gave you the piece of paper. Now, we're, right? that is the idea of shlichus. But it could be that by Chalitza, this type of emphasis on the man himself shows that it can't be done. Logically, I guess it could. Logically, perhaps it's no different, you know, from this rush of some sulfur, you could say that it's not that inherently there's something about Chalitza that should make it different than Kedushin or Gitin, where you get married through a Shliach or you give a get through a Shliach. But the terminology seems to indicate that it's the, it's the man himself. Nachsam Sofer um, then speculates there might be another reason. The other reason is, is that we know that Chalitza is all about he doesn't want to do Yibam. He doesn't want to do Yibam. 
in a way, chalitza, we know from various Gemaras, is the, it's the substitute. And we know that if you can't do yibum, you can't do chalitza on the person. In other words, it's supposed to be someone you could have done yibum with. The only thing that stopped you from doing yibum was that you didn't want to. But yibum could have worked. Which means that yibum, which is the act of sex. Now, obviously, you can't send the shuyach to do yibum. Right? The brother can't say, oh, I like to, I would actually like to be her husband, but I don't want to engage in that act with her. You go ahead and have sex with her and be my agent. That can't work. Because it has to be sealed sex. You can't have someone else have sex for you. Because the whole point is, is that, right? It's, it's not that sex happened to her. It's that you did it. And therefore, the same way yibum can't be done with a shriach, chalitz, although there's just the removal of a shoe, can't be done either. Those are two possibilities of why it can't work. Getting back to Refutalevich's case, though, he said, yes, I agree. The Gemara says that he can't make a shriach, but maybe she could. Maybe she could make a shriach. Now, because it doesn't say rag, does, right? Now, here, one could have argued, well, and maybe this was one of the reasons why Ravutalevich was, was lambasted on this. He said, well, look at the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Yevimto a love. It keeps on saying, Yevimto, his Yevama, right? In fact, it even says here, it says, Yevimto, who's the one who comes to the Bezdin? that actual woman who's really his sister-in-law. And then it repeats it again. Yevimto. So maybe the same way the, uh, the Samsofer and the Rush saw from the phraseology that it had to be the man, maybe the woman as well. In fact, perhaps, as you can see, it has to be even the spitting. It says, Rav Yudalevich says, well, she can appoint someone to do that. True, it has to be in front of him. But <laughs> it could be that someone else can do the spit. Someone else regurgitates this, 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 this material. It turned out that the, the Rebutalevich, you know, he, he based himself on the fact that there was a Dayan, young Dayan who had written a, uh, a chuba about this even before him. A Dayan from Warsaw, not the head of the Warsaw community, but a Robin Warsaw had written on this topic. And also the, the great Berjana Rov, who had argued with the great Rebbe of the Avnei Nezer, the Sochachavah, had also said that he felt that perhaps if it was a question of, of igun, question of a woman never getting married, we could learn that piece of Gemara that we just did only about the man. But the woman could make a shliach. And therefore, even the Berjan Rav was afraid to pass it that way. He didn't want to buck the system completely, but he did say it's something that needed to be investigated. 
Rav Yudalevich writing um, 30 years later felt that now was the time. In America, he felt that he was, in a way, the biggest Pisic in America. And there's many who would agree with that. Remember, he dies in 1930. There is no Moshe Feinstein on the scene. There isn't really anyone else who's writing as voluminously and was written on so many different topics and so brilliantly. He was not expecting the backlash that I said occurred to the point that the rival rabbinical association, the Gudasar Rabbonim, sent telegrams to all the great rabbis in Lithuania. And those telegrams were there to say that the man has printed this book. He has a lot of people who believe in him. And he's allowing something that has never been allowed in our own history. In all the hundreds and hundreds of years of Trubus Farm, we've never seen anyone. We've had this quandary of how to bring them together. But no one ever suggested that she could appoint the shliach. Now remember, he wanted to use radio as well as part of it. But even radio can just mean that, that you hear her make the statement. But it would be her proxy that would actually interact with the brother-in-law. Well, the greatest rabbinic, including Rav Kook, in in Eretz Yisrael, the great Rav Chaim Oizer Grzensky, who was considered the, the, the leader of European Jewry, wrote a letter that was so sharp. I'm going to read, read you part of it. The secretary of the Agudas HaRabonet, which was a rival rabbinic organization. Um, uh, Yudalevich was part of, uh, with Margolis, had, had, they were part of Knesset HaRabonet or Degel Again, there was a lot of everybody was, uh, you know, it was really positioning for who was going to control America, the giant of Judaism that America was going to become. But anyway, the Goddess Rabbanim sent letters to the leader of, of European Jewry that, you, that there's a Rav in New York, in New York, was and he wrote, and he was he printed a Kunturis, not a book, but he printed a, a hundred and some page uh, essay. I, I can't believe how he could even have a doubt. It's so clear all over. Like we saw in that Gemara in Subis. None of the Rishonim. Nobody ever had a doubt about this. And to say, well, he, she's different than him. I never heard anyone say it. They never said it. Obviously, it's not true. And he said, it's true that I, it's not the first time I've heard of it. Because one of the Rabbonim in Kiev, and we know who he was, uh, he's also mentioned by Yudalevich, wrote to me an essay about this. Why? Because he was worried about those agunos that were, that were, that were, that were prevalent in what is becoming Soviet Russia. And therefore, we should allow Khalid Sayyidai Shliach. And he wanted me to agree. And even it was then, I said, no, Khalilah, I can't do it. Because everything that you write is wrong. 
Because to say that she can make a shliach is just like to let her get married without chalitza. And, and I don't even want to debate it. A man can have two wives. So let's say Ruvain has two wives, Rachel and Leah, that Leah's chalitza works for her. Why? Because she's doing shlichus, the Gemara says. But that doesn't mean real shlichus. That doesn't mean that, that the other tzara said, the other wife said, hey, hey, you'd go in my place. You only need to do one of them. That doesn't mean that there's shlichus there. So you, you, you took the word shlichus totally out of context, Rav Chaim Lazer said. I don't think this was one of his proofs, uh, Rav Yudalevich, but this was the way one could sometimes see that phrase and think it meant shlichus. Now, the man, the rabbi from Kiev said, Rabbi, I know you're against it, but it's such a need for the Jewish people. I think we need to have a big convocation. Okay. So the truth was, they were anyway having in Vilna a convocation about other things. And there happened to have been at the time that this subject was being pushed by this, uh, by this uh, Ukrainian rabbi in Kiev, there happened to have been in Vilna a number of rabbis together. And you know who was there? The Chafetz Chaim was there. And when they heard that that people were already talking about this, that Yudalevich memorialized, that there were Russian, Ukrainian rabbis that were already talking about this, letting Chalitza happen. They said, how could that be? They are allowing things, they're going against, they're, they're, they're breaking the barriers that, that our halach is built on, that everybody knows about it from generation to generation. And you know what? caused them to do what Chaim Eiser said, or Chaim Eiser, he says, it's from these writers who are using this sort of analytic work, trying to figure out why is it that you can't, why is it that you can't have a shliach? And they started to, even though the Gemara says there's no shliachs. So they felt, well, let's try to figure it out. Let's try to use new fangled type of analysis. Now, I don't mind analysis, Rav Chaim Eiser writes. But analyze for as much as you want. Speculate like the Chassam Seifer. Speculate, it has to do with the Pasik. It has to do with, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it takes the place of, of the sex act. But you're not going to use that speculation to change anything. Now, therefore, I need to say that I'm going to announce on behalf of the community here in Europe, to all you rabbis in America, you agudas harabonim, it doesn't make a difference. Shalichas doesn't work. If it happens, it's also Torah. I told that to the Ukrainians, and I want you to public, to, to circulate this das Torah to everyone. Because maybe, if they see how strong we are against it, Yudalevich and the people who follow him will see that they're wrong and they should say, we were mistaken. Now, the truth was, as I said before, the backlash was so powerful that indeed that is what occurred. Everyone felt that he was wrong. And it really... People who hadn't known about him, who weren't so 
well-versed in his psalkim, started hearing about him as the rabbi who, who said the wrong thing. And it was a couple, it, it's clear that this took a toll on him. He was asked by Rabbi Ruven Katz, who was the rabbi in Bayonne, a position that he had held years earlier, Yudalevich had held. Why can't he just go out and say, look, you see the way everybody's against you. Nobody's accepting it. All the great rabbis say you made a mistake. Don't you see what'll happen? Told him, look, I want you to know that don't think that the fact that people didn't listen to you, that you're not a good rov. Don't think that. Because the truth is, and he, he quoted a beautiful drosha from the Rabbi Petterberger, the rov of, of St. Petersburg, Talmud of Yisrael We know that the Pusik says by Haman and Mordechai that Mordechai um, was earmarked for death for standing up to Haman. But Haman didn't want to just kill him. He wanted to kill every Jew. What does the Pusik say? The Pusik says that Haman didn't just want to kill Mordecai because they told him who Mordecai's people were and therefore he wanted to kill all the Jews. It shouldn't have said that. They should have said he wanted to kill all Mordecai's people. Let's say Mordecai was from uh, not the Jewish people. Let's say he was from Afghanistan. Let's say he was from the Mongol race. He wants to kill all the Mongols. It should say he wants to kill the Am Mordecai. Why is it? What's it about the Jews that he's going to kill all the Jews because of, of Mordecai? So Ritzel Blusher said, what did Haman want? Haman wanted Mordecai to bow down. Not because he felt that he knew who Mordecai was. But he thought, you know what? If I get Mordecai to do Avodah Zorah, the rest of Claudius will do Avodah Zorah too. I'll make a public thing about it. You see, you're a great rabbi. Bow down to me. All of you should do Avodah Zorah. All of you should be bowing down. And this was Haman's plan. This was his plot to get every all the Jews to do Avodah Zorah. But they told him, that ain't going to work. They told him, I'm Mordechai. They told him, Mordechai's people, they're not going to listen to him. If Mordechai says you can do Avodah Zorah, you think they're going to listen to him? You could be the greatest rabbi in the world and you come up with a heter. You come up with a psak that allows things. Nobody listens to you. Rabbi Tzablosher said you could be the Vilna Gaon. You could be the Rambam. And you could be talking about allowing people to eat meat from Rosh of till the week of Tisha B'av, One or two days. And you know what? They're not going to say, oh, that's a good psak. If you go against what everybody thinks is also, even though you have a hundred proofs to say it's true, they're not going to follow you. They're going to call you and not be Kairos. That's why Haman said, look, I thought maybe I'll get Mordechai to do Avodah Zorah. I'll get all the Jews Avodah That's not going to work. So therefore, the only thing I can do is not get them to do Avodah Zorah. Just kill them all if I want to get rid of them. I, I, I thought I'd get rid of them by making them God hate, God hate them. I do Avodah Zorah. That's not going to work because they're not going to follow Mordechai. 
So this is what Reb Ruven Katz told him. He said, you see that when a Rav comes to be matir something, every Jew thinks he's smarter. Even Rabbanim who aren't as big as you. So therefore, he said to Rav Yudalevich, look, you're an old man already. Don't you know who you're dealing with? You're dealing with the Am of Mordechai. They're never going to accept, even if you're the greatest Rav. He said that Rabbi Yudalevich kept on saying, oh, I'm Mordechai, I'm Mordechai, I'm Mordechai, yeah? So he said, you know what you need to do? Katz said, print, go take out a full page ad and say, I know I wrote this. I am not, I, I take it back. I take it back. Do tshuva. I'm taking it back. So according to Katz, the reason what Rabbi Yudalevich said was, he says, look, Maybe I should. I would do it. But the pain is so great that I'm not able to. Now, what did that mean? Was there a failure here? It's a tragedy. When he died, unlike Rav Moshe Feinstein, that even though Baba Jerebbe said the God of Ador has died with the type of Hespadim that you would have expected. His luster had been diminished. In fact, soon after his death, you have to check this out in the almanac, there was an eclipse of the sun for two hours. And many people thought that it was because the eclipse was like a sign that they had not done it right by Rebutalevich that maybe it made a mistake here. But when someone has lived a life so completely and totally dedicated, 60 years as a rov, you cannot allow that mistake, mistake, although it was Hashem Shamayim, to, 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 to have ruined his luster. And there's been uh, an attempt over the last number of years to, to change things. And... It's definitely worthwhile to to examine his Torah and to uh, and again he should be a mayor for us. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.